join us as we dive into the mindset, strategies, and practices that can help you make a positive impact on your business and the world around you. You're listening to Getting It Wrong to Get It Right. Are you struggling to grow your business? Book a free business growth consultation with Joe today. In this consultation, you'll receive professional advice, step-by-step guidance that will help you achieve success. Best practices and tips for improving profits. Clicking on the link in the description or contacting us directly. So, Paul, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm very well, Joel. I know that you're part of New Frontiers, you're part of the university. As the seasons roll in and roll out, you're a man that has decades of experience to do with entrepreneurship, businesses, and helping people and companies upscale. So, look, for yourself, where did it all begin? So I went to work in an engineering company where my dad worked in Wexford. Might have been visions that I would be an apprentice electrician, maybe even a fitter. But I worked with an electrician who was senior in age. He'd fought in World War II and he was semi-deaf. And he said, I can't be dealing with all the paperwork. Could you order this? So I spent a summer organizing, buying all different types of plugs and bits for angle grinders and anything. So instead of sending my time on the shop floor, which I did enjoy, I spent a lot of time sitting on a stool in an office in an engineering company in Wexford. I loved it. I loved it. I couldn't get enough to it. So much so when I went back to school to do my leaving cert, I did business-related subjects. I liked helping people. I saw a huge opportunity. Now, at that time, my blinkers were on. I saw it in the engineering sector and in the southeast of Ireland. And Wexford and Waterford and engineering at that time was very strong. Um, Wexford has a strong tradition in engineering. And I really, really saw that. And I saw an opportunity and I could see these little companies springing up to supply the larger companies, people like Board and Motor and Irish Sugar Company and Irish Rail and those kind of things. So that's where it started. Graduated from college and went straight in to work for a multinational and worked in supply chain roles and eventually in purchasing again, which is where I wanted to be. And I always tried when I was working for the multinational companies at this idea, and they, they had the same idea, it has to be said, it was coming corporate wise, that they wanted to source local. So I always wanted to get the, the guy who was starting off, I wanted to get him a leg into some of these multinationals that I was working for to solve little problems that we were having. So that would grow jobs and put jobs in my own community where I lived. And that's where it all began. Sometimes, you know, I would have gone the extra mile. Sometimes I would have taken chances and sometimes would have had to have been said the small companies would be let down. But other times the companies were successful. And I really said the SME sector, the small company employing 10 people or less, even one or two people, they're very, very important to the fabric of our economy. Yes, we do need FDI companies, our small companies, which they're the backbone. They're the backbone. Yeah. And they'll be there in the good days and they'll be there in the bad days. Would you say that you always had support for the underdog? Yes, I would have the support for the underdog because often the underdogs in situations, particularly where you're dealing with existing companies and they might not have had experience of supplying the larger companies and that, you do an awful lot of hand-holding. And I love that. We know that most businesses... 
you know, the first five years is the hardest and a lot of organizations go bust in the first five years. And the reason is they run out of money, they, they're not making sales or they lose the will to keep on going, that entrepreneurial spirit. But for the companies that break past those five years and get into the five to 10 and the 15 years, it's a whole different ball game. I was speaking to someone earlier on and I was explaining to them that, you know, for a company that makes 100,000 to, you know, a quarter of a million to half a million, there's a different set of rules for the company that's making half a million, a million, two million, three million. There's only a very small percentage of companies that break through, but there is thousands of them. What's your thoughts about the companies that break through and are in business a long time that need to scale up? First of all, there's a huge opportunity for them. They know there's an opportunity there. The opportunities are actually a lot of the time being presented right in front of them, right? And they can nearly touch them, but they can't get quite there. And a lot of the time it's to do with the way they're set up. So there's the old saying, you know, they're working in the business, not on the business. And I always say, you know, you need to move them to working on the business to take advantage of some of these opportunities and to scale up. And I think that's key really to take them off the tools. And a lot of entrepreneurs love working in the business. They get the buzz. If you didn't pay them at all, or and a lot of them are not receiving salaries or wages on a Friday night or whatever, a lot of them do them right into their very, very senior age. And unfortunately, as we all know, you read stories then, it's just, it's just a, a personal lady had a heart attack and they, they passed away at a grand age and they were still working. I often think it's about the opportunities are there, but the problem is they need time to work on the business. Now, yes. there's great supports to do that. Say we run New Frontiers. There's great supports to do that. So they get the breakout. You know, you get your six or nine months to work on your business and develop it up. And it's great and all the supports. But a guy that's got a great business and has a great opportunity. So an example of that would be something, a company uh, could be, be making something and has got an opportunity an American multinational comes over and they've got their first order. They're doing fine and everything is going hunky-dory. And then the American says, well, we have a plant in uh, Minneapolis and we'd love you to supply them or to go over and have a look on that. And this parachutes them onto the next level. But often they can't take advantage of it. Number one would be the way they're set up themselves and the way they delegate and work with others. And number two, often... The unknown, the fear of the unknown stops them. And sometimes money and cash flow, which is key to every business. Do you know, there's a company, they have their needs, their wants and what they're lacking. And the business then needs to evolve. So what sort of key points should a company be looking at and how would they do it to evolve? I think the key points, first of all, I think the first thing you need to do is they, the business themselves, are they fit to evolve, right? And they need to either have a look themselves. So if I'm in good shape to evolve, it's basically, am I available? You know, am I fit to play first division soccer? Am I really, really fit to play at that level? And before they put their foot outside the door, they move to evolve. That's very important. Sometimes I would often encourage people, there's things called benchmarking, there's tools for doing that. And I often say, maybe bring somebody in have a mentor or somebody and spend a couple of days with them and have a look. And it's a bit like doing a medical check on yourself. Do a medical check on the business. 
Yeah, health check is quite good to see where where you are. Good, because there's no point trying to evolve and you go off and you're trying to chase stupids that evolve. But if the fundamentals, the foundations of the business, if there's problems there, they need to be fixed first. You know, there's the managerial skill set and the entrepreneurial mindset. And sometimes you need these two to amalgamate to make a company successful because an entrepreneur will sell his soul because he has a target on on what needs to be done, where a managerial skill set will be, hold on, let's have a look at all the nuts and bolts before we jump off the cliff. Yes. And there's a real need to do that before you have a look. And then the next stage, I think, then is to look at a small opportunity. And often the small opportunity could be They've been building solutions, but they don't realize they could make them into products, okay, that other companies need them. And I'd be saying to them, well, that's great. That really looks well. But you know what? There are other companies would use that as well. I often say, you know, you need to go out, spend the next stages to go out. You know, I'm very old-fashioned in my approach. I often say you need to get into the car, spend some shoe level, go around places, sniff these things out, walk, talk to people. A lot of the potential customers and even large companies are quite open to working with existing companies. And I often use the word to my people that I work with as I say, it's not a sales call. Just tell them you're doing some planning for the future. You're doing some feasibility work. You've got this idea. And generally people, and Irish people are very open. They will allow you go in, have a walk around, discuss the opportunities. You'll soon get your own gut feel as to whether this opportunity is worth looking at or not before you jump. Research is the key to success. Mm. And some people out there believe, you know, you build a website and you have a business where as a company grows, you knew, okay, I don't want to be working in this business till I'm 101. I need to sort of now look at an exit strategy as well. But Mm -hmm. to do that and to develop the business, you need to do research. Tell me, Paul, do you think that a lot of companies lack the skill or the will to do proper research? I think a lot of them lack the skill. Okay. I definitely think they lack the skill. And when I say they lack the skill, not in the sense that they don't know what's involved. I think it's just they lack the skill to organize themselves, to take time out of their busy days and say, well, I'm going to look at this. You know, I've come across companies that say the business is running fine. So every Friday I'm going to devote to my new product or my new opportunity or product project X. And they do that. So I do think they lack the skills. And I think they can do the research online. You know, they can Google it or if you ask, them, you know, do patent searches or or that they can do that kind of thing. But then when you ask them, you know, how do you talk to people that you've never met before? How do you ring somebody up the old fashioned way? You know, how do you get a meeting or how do you conduct a meeting with some of the potential, that kind of work? And how do you get the actual hard research done? You know, I'm a big believer. If you won't do that, then it's going to be very hard for you. You know, you'd wonder... If you won't do that kind of research, well, they're never then going to make the sales calls afterwards, you know, when you, you jump and you need and do to do this. it. Yeah, it's, you know? it's and unfortunately, the wrong problem. Yeah. And unfortunately, some people take, oh, they hire somebody in to do it. And I said, that's very okay. You know, you can have somebody to guide you through the process, ask you the hard questions. But the actual calls, you need to make them yourself. Because it's your business. I would agree there 100%. I've seen companies who want to hire salespeople because 
the owner of the business may have a team there of maybe four or five and they, they say, look, we want to hire a salesperson. But I say to him, hold off in hiring that salesperson until you make the calls, until you find out what's working. Because then when you do that and you bring in a salesperson, they're looking for your guidance. But if you bring in a salesperson and think they're the magic wand to the success of the business, you've taken the wrong approach. Would you agree with me on that? I would indeed. So many people hire the wrong salesperson and spend huge chunks of change on hiring a salesperson. And they haven't done the research. They expect the poor sales guy, you know, they recruit them, they put targets on them and, and they hire them too early. Whereas really what they need to be doing is they need to have done the research. They need to have validated the market and said, yes, I can see an opportunity. I have something. I have a clear base that when I hire a person or maybe in the research process, which is often the case, you may find that the route to that customer, it's not a salesperson you need. It could be a distributor. It could be an agent. You could do it online. By the way, if you're out on the road and you're doing your research, I often used to use the trick. I, I have to say people are gatekeepers and I'm talking to these companies. Often if you talk to buyers, even from the reception desk in, you'll soon find who's going in and who's going out of these places. They're the salespeople you want, not somebody who has never been inside the door or not. So I said in the research process, you'll also find out what kind of salesperson or if you need a salesperson at all. Yeah, I think with sales, the word that's popped into my head is hunger. Mm. You know, and it has to be an attractive hunger for them to hustle. And there has been a life of a decade, I think, of order takers. And as the economy changes and there's downturns, order takers then will kind of go, why are we not making sales? Because you're order taking and it now needs to be you know, they need to retool and relearn on how to sell. There is, yeah. It's moved on a lot and different products that require, sometimes it's not actually a salesperson you need. You know, different industries, you might need a technical person who you have already in your team who is reasonably good with people that you train and can speak because the person they might be selling to is their mirror image, but inside the customer site. You know, people make a lot of mistakes. You rarely hear of people making their first or second attempts of hiring people. And there are a lot of mistakes made in this area. Here's a question, right? How does a company know they're ready to upscale? Having done, as I say, the health check on themselves, I think they're in a growing market and that. Then others in their industry growing as well. That's always a good indicator. So if everybody is growing as well, then there's that. Also as well with some companies, with companies, and I've seen this, particularly in the tech sector, becomes a stage where you say, we either take on the investment or we grow now and take our piece of the market because otherwise somebody else is going to come in and take our slot. So sometimes you're forced into a position a lot of the time, you know, that's where I see, you know, people are being forced, but very, very important that it's a planned move rather than somebody going down a rabbit hole after an opportunity or a sale and then making a huge loss and exposing the company when they originally had a very nice little business that they could manage themselves. 
Yeah, because if we look at the elements of the growth of a business and one is, you know, it's identifying something and then it's creating it, then it's mm. packaging it. And then from packaging, it's promoting it from promoting, then it's selling and from selling, it's then upscaling. And they're like the six elements that we look at to see about a business if they're going to if they're going to move forward and why they should move forward. But in Ireland, say, like, let's we talk about the tech industry. Are most companies in Ireland, indigenous companies, one to 10 staff or are they 10 to 50 or are they 50 to 100 staff? Off the top of my head, I think most people, I think it's about 70, 80 percent of people are working for companies of less than 10 people. 10 people. When you start going up and you do your analysis and you start looking for people working on 100 or plus it gets very interesting. So the zero to 10, and a lot of people is where it is at for a lot of people. And that's an advantage as well, because I have to say they're nimble enough at 10. You still can be managed easily enough. You're nimble, you can flex. The bigger you get, the more difficult it yeah, is to there's flex. More, there's more spinning plates. I, and, often, and often you will come across and you say, well, why isn't that company fulfilling that piece of business well they're too big but and the opportunity is too small because they have so much overheads and they're too big to take advantage of the opportunity you know yeah so, i wonder where that sweet spot is that's the question i like to say kind of less than 50 i think is the space i think once you get to 50 you're you know you're really in a different league but the other way it's grown business that people forget it's quite popular in ireland obviously is to acquire another company that's either in your space or in a market that you want to go if you've been in business for a number of years the chances are that your balance sheet has some cash on it you've good trading records so funding acquisition of a company is another way of doing it as well and particularly today now where it's so hard to find talent of all shapes and all different disciplines often the acquiring of somebody who was already in a market that you want to go and already has a team and people and things that you need you know can be a very good reason i was dealing with a gentleman recently and he said to me he wants to acquire somebody and he said to me they must have the following people he says i have no knowledge of this i need that service i want to bring it in house but i have no knowledge of it often acquiring people and more and more in Ireland as well, you have people as well. They've been in business for a long time. I'm talking 20, 30, 40 years. They're coming up to an age and they say, you know, realistically, I can't do this anymore or I can't scale the business or I don't want to scale the business because I don't have the money or B, they run out of road themselves physically and mentally. And so often they would say, do you know what? Maybe I sell out and let somebody else take it to the next step or bring somebody on as a CEO or he or she they have the wherewithal and I'm going to maybe they buy into the business in stages or whatever, you know? Yeah, because sometimes a business can get to a certain level and the owner can't bring it forward and they need mm. to hire someone to basically pass on the baton for them mm. to drive the, the, the company forward. But when a company's buying another company, they're looking at the customer base. They're looking at, okay, if we're going to acquire your company, Let's look at the database that you have because that's the value. 
That's mm. the value on it. Unfortunately, the well-organized small company who has everything nailed down, they have, if it's if they're in contract situations, they have copies of contracts, and they have their purchase orders and they have all their records and their good little system. I akin it nearly to an ISO 9000 type system. Then they're fine, but they can be acquired easily. But if you've got a guy who comes and uh, he wants to sell his business, most of the knowledge is in between his two ears or her ears, then there is no value in the business. Unfortunately, the business is them. And if they step out, that's it. They walk away. So if they have ill health or whatever, something happens to them. So I always encourage people as they're going along building a business, because that's what, as you quite rightly say, is going to buy a business. It's going to be what are the, the assets? customer basis, the assets, the goodwill and all that, and a certain bit of knowledge. Yeah, because even... Like we're looking at our business and we're going, okay, you know, we see that AI is getting heavily involved in many industries and it it should be only used as a complementary tool to help a company. But the real value in any organization, especially as they grow, is now intellectual property. Mm -hmm. That's the real asset and the expertise of the team that's in a company. So if you're purchasing a company, they're two major factors. So part of it is kind of going, well, okay, we're buying your company, but we need you to stay on for the next five years as well. Yeah. And I think a mistake made, people think, okay, uh, you know, intellectual property, they tend to think of patents, you know, have I got patents? And in certain sense, absolutely there's huge value in patents. But a lot of companies don't realize and well-established, and I think the more mature companies often have huge IP in their business, but they don't realize they have it. And it comes in many forms and they haven't taken time to protect it or nail it down so it becomes an asset of the business. In those circumstances, again, maybe often an outsider, as I say, an outsider, a pair, an extra pair of hands where the mentor consultant, or whether it's one from somebody from the state agency, Enterprise Island provide people, the local enterprise office help in this area as well. Identification of what is the intellectual property? What is the value of that? Or is there anything in it? Often there is. It can be quite simple. It could be, well, my suppliers supply me with certain key ingredients Nobody knows who they are. They come. How is that relationship built? Can they supply to others? Or it could be a process they have in-house that they've been doing for years that nobody else does. That brings up what you said earlier on in the conversation about bringing in a consultant or bringing in something. Because every business, you and me know we've been in, you know, helping companies for decades, that Every business has a blind spot. Even our own business has blind spots, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and you need to have someone coming in and do a 360 helicopter view, looking at the mm-hmm. business to go, you have value there. And people mm-hmm. are quite a surprised when someone else tells them something that is so obvious. Yeah. And quite rightly, and if as again, that's the value. And to a lot of entrepreneurs who've run their businesses for a number of years and now want to exit, that could be the very value. That's what makes the difference. That what gets the deals, you know. And okay. it can be quite simple things. Yes, yes. simplicity. I think that some people try and make it yes. very complicated. Yes. But here's the thing: look, we've got about five minutes left. All right, I'm going to ask you. Someone listening to this who has a 25 staff, their business is in the flow stage and they know that they want to, as every business wants to grow its revenue and wants to be more profitable. 
But if you can just elaborate a little more on what that health check would be like or what they need to do in that health check. If you were to give us some pointers on that before we wrap up, would be absolutely brilliant. Okay. The technical term for this is pillars of innovation, but I'd, I'd break it down further. And I normally say people are people. Are the people ready to grow? Are there any gaps? Are you yourself that owns the company up for this? Do you have all the skills, okay? Or do you need to bring somebody in, right? Or maybe you have somebody in the group, in your group, and often internally under your nose, there is somebody, but you kind of ignored it, you know, to bring on. That's the first thing. The second thing is your intellectual property to look at. Have I got anything that's special, any secret sauce? And that comes in many formats. Look at that. Look at the sales side. So how do you get your sales? In what format do they go? Do you have a process? How do you get your sales and how do you process them? Do you have any lead systems? You you know, and people, a lot of people are using CRM systems. So do you have a sales system and a way to sales? I think. Number four, digital. In this age, and we've talked about AI, digital is very important. So how advanced digitally are you? And that's not just websites and social media. That's the processes, the systems you use in your business. Have you taken full advantage of that? Have you automated, for example, if it's manufacturing, have you automated as much as you can? Have you done the simple thing? Look at that. The financials of the business. Financially, first of all, you do in management accounts. Or if you're still relying on the accountant, the poor old accountant at the end of year to tell you whether you made a profit or a loss, then really, you know, you need to get your house in order financials. So look at your financials. You need to look at them. Okay. And they would be fun. Six is marketing. It, the marketing is there. Do people know your company? If you had to, if you weren't there in the morning and somebody said your company name, what would they think? Would they know the brand of it? You know, and people think branding is only about consumer products. It's not. It's as relevant to the B2B area as it is to the consumer thing. So they would be my, my key areas that I would look at very much. Thing. And lastly, then I would look into your management. If there's a family company, this is a good example. If you have family members, are you meeting regularly? You're sitting down, are you doing your documentation? Have you ever thought of own a simple plan? There's loads of assistance for that. You know, I'm not talking necessarily a business plan or strategy, you know, plan. Have you development plan? Have you thought of those? And they're very important. I think they're crucially important. Paul, there are some great markers that people should look at if they want to upscale or grow their business on it. So what sort of time frame should someone review each one of these and in part of the research as well? Should they, should they be looking at these ongoing all the time or is it something that they should look at, say, once a year? Ideally, once a month, I would say, or bi-monthly, maybe formalize it a bit. You know, every every two months, sit down. And it doesn't have to be that formal. Definitely, that's what I will be doing. More often, the better, you know? More often, the better. The last question I want to ask you, with the economy and the way the world is at the moment with so many uncertainties, how do you see the future for Irish business moving into 2024? I'd be very positive, really, really positive. I think Ireland is well-placed and Irish business is very well-placed to take advantages of, of the new opportunities and the growth that we already have and that. But I do think that it will all be about input costs in 2024 and input costs being materials and labour. 
and those areas will be key. Okay, they will be key. So it'll be, you know, the word margins, it won't be about lack of sales. It'll be all about the margins and that and how you prepare and how you re-engineer, whether you're in the energy saving business, try to do energy saving, whether you try to work with your suppliers to reduce some of the costs that they have in servicing you, all of those areas and whether you can retain your staff and that and keep them motivated. It's very much about in the staff area will be about retention because it's, it's a very tight labor market and it's, that's not going to change for this foreseeable future, I don't think. Yeah, it's, you know, the labor markets are shrinking all the time. And I think that machine learning is going to help a lot of that as well. But, you know, people still need human connection. They do. Um, they do. Oh, yeah. Know, look after your staff, build that community so, you know, they feel part of something because people want to be heard and they want to be recognized. And I think if you can make that happen and build that community, will help any organization grow. Anyone, I think, gone are the days when we had leaders or owners of companies who ruled with an iron fist. I think you and me know them of the 80s, you know, that. I think those days are changing. Thank God. I think they are as well. Yeah, they are indeed, yeah. Paul, it's been a pleasure having you on. Lots of wise words there uh, for our listeners. Um, and I'm sure some people will be taking a, a lot of notes and implementing some of your thought process as well to help them scale up their business and exit. And tell me, what's the future for yourself? What's the future for yourself, Paul? I suppose I hope to continue to continue. I, I very much love what I do to continue working in this area, helping both people take their first steps and those in existing business either scale or, 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 you know, make plans. So I would hope that's what I hope to do. Part of me also as well, I, I'm very interested in uh, community and that and um I probably one of my plans will be to do more work in community focus, maybe in the social entrepreneurship side as well, you know. Cool. You know? Cool. You know? Paul, it's great having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. You're listening to Getting It Wrong to Get It Right.